So let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you. Settle us now, Lord. Commandeer our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our lives. We could hear you. Let us hear you, Lord. Let us hear your voice. Lord, for all the things that battle for preeminence with you. All the things, Lord, that that in essence can keep us in a state of mediocrity with you. Lord, I pray that today that wouldn't happen. We would go for it with everything. Lord, we sung it. And I pray now, Lord, that you would do something magnificent in this time, that we'd have so much fun in your word. We get it. We get it. So, Lord, please, what you have to share in this time, redeem every second. Prepare us for your table. And, Lord, if there's any who have yet to know you, let this be the day of their salvation. If there are any right now that are complacent, hardened, immuning themselves, Lord, from your Holy Spirit and the prodding of your Spirit, today change that. And overcome us. May every second be perfectly redeemed. I commit this time to you, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come upon me and do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak to every one of us personally right now, right where we need to hear you. But then also speak to us as a family. As we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. We are now in the third chapter of the book of Numbers. We are, in essence, a year, two years into the um, wilderness wanderings. Second month, the beginning of it. And the first two chapters, God has Moses number the army. For the purpose, numbering the young men who, by the way, have never really been identified as an army. They've had to fight because there was a battle in Rephaim where they had to battle with Joshua. And so there are battles to be fought. But it's important to recognize that once God pulls you out of your bondage, he's going to turn you into a warrior. But there's so much more. Because though we will see battles fought in the book of Numbers, and we will see all but two people of that first generation dead before it's over, the vast majority of the battles will not be hand-to-hand combat. There'll be battles over lust, pride, vanity, self-reliance, over faith. And now we turn to chapters 3 and 4, and now God turns our attention to the priests, those that are serving in the temple. And those are, I'm sorry, in this case, the tabernacle. And as God prepares us for this time, recognize something here. That this is just another one of the identities that God wants to reveal to us as Christians. Because clearly, at the moment you've accepted, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in a position where the Lord is transforming into a brand new creation altogether. And we start searching for identity. And if we don't find it in Christ, what we will do is we will then try to find our identity from who we were and not who God is making us. And you'll spend the rest of your time kind of telling people you're an X this and X that, instead of letting people know who you are now. And most people might actually even know who you were. And the reason you don't tell them who you are is most of the time we just don't know who we are. Well, first of all, you're a warrior now. He's told us, by the way, after Jesus looks in John 5, after this group of people have been radically transformed, touched and healed, they were demon-possessed, they were paralytic, they were basket cases in just about every way that could be possibly imaginable, and he heals them all, then he turns to them and says, you're blessed. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Eight times. And then he says, you're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. Understand that Jesus didn't just say, I saved you and now go out and go sin some more. It's like I have a whole new world for you now. 
Now that we've gotten out of Egypt, we haven't gotten into the promised land. And somewhere in between that, God starts giving us our identity. He starts shelling out these characteristics of who we are to be now. And part of it is a warrior. You will fight those battles. And we looked at it last week in regards to the battles against the world, the battle against the flesh, the battle against the enemy and his army. And how to see victory in all of them. But now he turns to us and says, look, you're also workers. You are servants. It is important to recognize that nobody could serve in the tabernacle, and we'll see that here, unless you're born into the family. You couldn't be an outsider and serve here. God requires birthing, proper birthing for this to take place. The original tribe that this came from is the tribe of Levi. We might say Levi, but it's Levi if we were to say as it would in Hebrew. It means attached. And Levi had three sons. The sons' names are Gershom, Kohat, and Merari. We will see God focusing on those three sons. Kohat in verses 21 to 36 I'm sorry, Gershom, 21 to 26, Kohat, 27 to 32, and then Merari, 33 to 37, and then dealing with the aspect in the beginning and the end of this, of the firstborn. That's our whole chapter. He will be counting in this chapter, for what it's worth, everyone from ages three, from a month up, uh, a month and up, even to 60. And what we'll see then in chapter 4 will be ages 30 to 50 as we go mobile. This is the one where God puts you in your place, and in the next chapter, God shows you how to get going. But I like the fact that God shows you first where you, where you should sit before he shows you where you should go. I don't think that that's an accident. Look at the verse 1 with me. Now, these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, notice before this, he had been speaking to him in the tabernacle. Interesting, for what it's worth, uh, the, the word here, tolacht, the, the word for records as we have it really means descent. Some actually put it as genealogy. And the idea is this is now the things, how, basically these are how things go down as Moses was speaking with God on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron. Now Aaron is a direct lineage from Kohat, from Levi. He has four sons. Notice them with me in verse 2. Nadav, the firstborn, and Abihu. Eliezer, and Itamar. The son's names, for what it's worth, means liberal. He's my father. Who names their kid? He's my father. God the helper, Eliezer. And coast of the palm trees. Yeah, I, I didn't get that one either. Anyways. These are the names of the sons of Ron, the anointed priests whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Those first two, though, Nadav and Abihu, had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord. In the wilderness of Sinai, they had no children, so Eleazar and Itmar ministered as priests in the presence of Agron, their father. Half of Aaron's children are dead from a single event that took place in Leviticus 10. But since we've read through the scriptures, maybe we can recount it instead of having me to teach it. Here's a question I would ask you if you were a parent. Would you ever intentionally hurt your children? The most natural knee-jerk reaction is yes. I'm sorry, no. It's no. (laughs) It all depends if you have any teenagers. Anyways, the most natural response is no. I would never intentionally hurt my children. But with giving it a little thought, I would say yes. If it was only necessary to save their life. If a child was blindly running towards a speeding train... And your only option was to take out a leg, to, to trip them, to, to have them fall, to, to pull out their legs from them so they wouldn't get to the train and get killed. Would you do it? Yeah, sounds like a simple choice, doesn't it? But you might say, but I don't want to do that because it might cause them temporary pain. Yeah, it will cause you temporary pain. But the temporary pain is a lot better than the lasting when you're about to get otherwise. Sometimes God will, in his love as a father, pull your legs from you. Because you are heading in such a direction, the only thing left to do is to take you down. That's what took place, by the way, in Leviticus chapter 10. The Aaronic priesthood had now been inaugurated. God's fire comes down and lights the fire pan Aaron is carrying. Two of his boys think that's an awesome thing. They run and get incensed themselves. They're running 
Later on, God will infer the fact in this book that it seems like they were even drunk when it was taking place. And instead of God firing up their firing pans, God actually fires up the boys and the two of them, bam, and they're done. And imagine here we all praising God. God is so awesome. God is so cool. This is a really cool day. Boom. And everyone's like, ah, the song just kind of stops at a moment like that. And then God says, listen, listen, listen. If you're going to approach me, I'm holy. And you better remember that. Now, in a moment like that, whatever God says, I think you're going to listen to. Does that make sense? I mean, either that or you're going to hide someplace you think is like lightning proof. God's like, look it, I don't want to be approached. Before we even start this thing, before we even start this whole sacrificial system, before we start this whole priesthood, before we start the idea that you're all going to come to me because I want to be with you, I don't want to be with you in a way that you don't know me. I don't want to be with you in a way that you make me up, that I'm just one of your homeboys, just one of your posse. God's like, I'm not into that. See, the thing about God is that he's got these two qualities about him that are irreconcilable, and that's what takes faith. Anytime God can put two things that seem like you can't shove them together, God's bigger than your math. That's the point of it. And one is that God is so perfectly holy. Timothy, we read in the Timothy letters by Paul, that he dwells in inapproachable light. Do you know what that means? That when God's fully glowing the way that he is when he's at home, nobody can get near him because he's so bright. He's absolutely perfect, absolutely pure, and has no fellowship with anything evil, rotten, filthy, dark. That's one side. God is holy. On the other side, God is approachable. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And yet surely our sorrows he carried and our griefs he bore. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted tells us that he became obedient even to death on the cross, as Philippians 2. That he clothed himself with flesh. Because likewise, the children who shared in flesh and blood, he likewise shared then in those same things, that he through death might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. And release those who all their lives were held captive by their fear of death. Understand something. On one side, God is fully approachable, but on the other side, God is fully holy. How do you put those two things together? God never told me I had to. I just believe both. And you go, well, well, where does that fit? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. It tells me his ways are above my ways. And then it, Paul says, it, and I love it this way, beyond finding out. The person who likes to tell you they've understood all of God's ways is lying. Because what God said is that his ways are beyond finding out. Because I'm supposed to trust in him with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. But we want to lean on our own understanding. But then what happens is our logic becomes our God. It's like God, you're telling God, I'll follow you if I understand you. God's like, <laughs> and the first thing he'll do is put you in something that makes no sense. Why? Because he loves you. In chapter 10 of Leviticus, God took the legs out of that whole thing to stop everyone from doing what those two boys had done. It's like, look it, I'm really holy and you need to deal with it. So now the dust is cleared from all of that and there's two children left. The two children left are the two that are the younger two. God says they're taking the place. And in verse 5 it says then, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. Now wait a minute, did you notice that they're serving the high priest? God didn't just say, serve me, but serve the high priest. Why Levi? Why that tribe? I mean, there's 12, 13 if you really want to play it out with both from Joseph. Why Levi? But it goes back, by the way, all the way back to Exodus chapter 32. Because in Exodus chapter 32, when, and this is the ironic part, and the ironic part, is that when Moses is coming down the mountain with the commandments, there's a noise. And the terrible noise is a noise of people singing. <laughs> Not like here, where things are beautiful. And, they, and as a matter of fact, Joshua thinks that it's, uh, people are dying. He says, I think I hear war down there. And he's like, no, that's just the choir. And, and then they, and he goes down there. And when they go down there, they find him dancing around this golden calf. Which, by the way, was a common god in Egypt, the god of Apis. And, they, you know, and the idea, and they'll do it later, by the way, when the kingdom divides, and they'll say, you're the God who delivered us out of Egypt. You get the idea. They just can't 
I mean, how is it that a God of Egypt delivers you out of Egypt? Think that through. Just the same. Then Moses grinds it to powder, throws it into the water, makes him drink it. You're never going to worship that thing again. And he draws a line in the sand. He says, not anyone who God's on their side. He says, anyone who's on God's side, come over here. And the only people who came over at that point were the Levites. So God says, well, even though you and understand one of those people's Aaron, the guy who actually followed them into this whole mess. And yet God knew where we would be after that. Just because you've done something stupid does not mean God doesn't have a plan for your life. As a matter of fact, God knew all of that when he already put the calling on you. And he knew on the other side of the hill that you're going to crawl up to do that. So follow me on this. The line's drawn in the sand. The people step forward, including Aaron, the tribe of Levi. And he says, all right, there we go. Exodus 32:26. And God says, well, then you're going to be my priests. The one group that was willing to be attached now is this group. And so be it. So he says, now, set apart this tribe. Now that we have the history for it. Because someone's going to take a stand for God. And strangely enough, it was them. Even people who had just, listen, 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 had just sinned. I mean, these are people who may have to run and get their clothes to put them on to go and stand on the, across that line. Now, I'm not telling you to sin. That's not the point. The point's the opposite. I'm telling you, even if you're in the most awful place you've ever been in, you can leave it right now and cross the line. And that line's for you there. So he says, now, set apart this particular tribe. Verse 7, it says, they will attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. They shall also attend to the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And then you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. There's a group of people that are set aside to support. And who are they serving first? The high priest. And then second, the people. Well, actually, that makes sense to me. Because it tells me in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, that we are to consider as partakers of the heavenly calling, to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now, understand something. You can't even be in the tabernacle, at least in regards to service, without being born into it. Born is the issue. Jesus says that, by the way, to Nicodemus. He says you can't just join the club. You can't just put a slap a new coat of paint on this. You have to be born again. So if somebody says, well, I'm Christian, but I'm not born again Christian, I'd say, well, pardon me for saying this, but you're not biblical Christian. Because the Bible says you must be born again. This is if you're not born of spirit, just like you were of flesh, you'll never see the kingdom of God. So you're a Christian that will never see the kingdom of God. What kind of Christian is that? Not one that I want to be. How about you? But understand something. There are a group of people, even within the tribes, you can't pick that. It isn't like, you know, one day, you know, <clears throat> one day, you know, Andrew wakes up and he decides, you know what, actually, I'm kind of tired of being from the tribe of Dan. I decide today I'm going to be a Judahite. That'd be awesome. They seem like they have better food. People are nice there. They sing a lot. Problem is, he can never be Judean. He'll always be a Danite if that's where he's from. You can't pick that part. The question is, well, what does he pick the Danites to do? That's the point. And the reason I say that is, in, once you've been born again, even within being born again, God has different tribes among the fellowship. Different things you're born into. Some will be born Levites. Reborn Levites. Can I say it that way? You will be servants first of the high priest and then second of the people. Now, all of us will be to some degree, but some will make their, actually, their whole thing will be within the church. They will be serving to make sure God's in the center of the camp for the rest of the army as well. If you remember that from the last, in a week. There'll be others that will be born, and they will be born into places where they will be on the front lines even more so. As you're born into Christ. God has a calling in all of your lives. And instead of trying to say, how do I get that calling or that calling? Or if I could just be that person. Hey, if you could be that person, then you wouldn't be you. And God has a specific calling uniquely for you. And you'll never, no one else on the, in the world will ever do your calling better than you will. Because he, he has that script written just for you. Now, it's a choice of how much you want to do of it. But if you do it, you're in for the best. 
So with this now, now we're going to start looking at these, the, the way that this plays out. And the way that he plays it out is he goes back to Levi and he starts separating. Well, Levi had these three sons. In other words, you've got to have, you've heard it, Levi genes in order to do this. So with that then, he says, now, notice he addresses the firstborn because from the very beginning, he says, we need to deal with the firstborn. And then he separates those boys. Now, please hear me on this. Every Middle Eastern culture sacrificed their firstborn son to a deity other than those of the living God. Being born and raised in Egypt, you were used to it. You just knew your oldest boy was the first one you just handed off to a god, and then the second one, that's why you needed a wife that could give you more than one son. So when God says, I want your firstborn, they understood. But what they also understood was that, listen, 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 because this is the part we could miss, is that the firstborn son wasn't just given to any deity. Remember, we're in a place where people worship all kinds of gods. It was like the shopping mall of gods. There were gods of provision. There were gods of protection. There were gods of production. And then there were gods of pleasure. Which one of those do you think you sacrificed your son to? The god of pleasure. To this day, people still sacrifice unborn children to the god of pleasure, if you'll pardon me for saying. Now, please hear me on this. For God to say, I want your firstborn, he wants to be more than just your protector, more than just your provider, more than just your purpose. He wants to be your pleasure. And that's something, by the way, that many Christians will never get through their head and heart. We'll know God. It's it's almost like God's for saving and he's for eternity, but the world's for fun. Because after all, you only get it now. And what you wind up being then is a convoluted corpse instead of actually a celebrant Christian. Because in the end of it all, you're too busy trying to look like the world instead of saving it. How sad is that? So he starts. No, notice what he says about the firstborn. So he says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 11. Behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb from the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. You get the idea. God says, I could have you kill all your kids, but I don't want you to do that. That's not my point. Now, what is it, what's so big about the firstborn? Please understand, the firstborn is the future of your family. That's the idea. And God says, I'm taking the Levites so you can have your firstborn, but I want you to always remember, I want you to always remember they would have belonged to me. So when you look at the future of your family, it should belong to me. That boy that's going to take over the family name, the family honor, the family business, Because I chose this tribe, because these people are doing service unto me, you got your son back. And he says, because of the firstborn are mine, verse 13, on the day that I struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified myself. All of the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast, they shall be mine. I'm the Lord. Exodus 13, 2. Exodus 34, 19. He says, give me the firstborn. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. No, we move into a new area. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, and he said, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses. By their families you shall number number every male from a month old and above. Now that's what we get now. We're going to break it up into those three boys. Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord. Well, why did we have to number them if they're not going to fight? Because God wants you to know who's actually in there serving the king. So the priests and the Levites are numbered. Verse 17, these are the sons of Levi by their name. And let's just say these. I'm going to, actually, you might be one of those places where you fear reading these kind of things in front of people because you're like, hammer, 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 hammer. So we're going to actually have a little practice. Here's three names. Ready? Gershon. Like gear shift. Gershon. The person's name means refugee. He fled for safety. The second one, Kohat. Try with me. Kohat. And his name means allied or faithful. The first one would be, if you will, the found. The second, the faithful. And then Marari, Marari. which means really fast chariot. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> I'm letting you get it. There you go. Ah. Marari, some of you, if you know anything about other scripture, like the story of Ruth, you know the variation on the name Marari. Does anyone know what the name Marari would mean then? Bitter or fragile. Bitter or fractured. So you have these three people. You have the found, the faithful, and the fractured or fragile. 
You with me so far? And each of them have tribes with kids. And God starts with the first, Gershon, which, remember, means refugee. And they, by the way, by their families, and he has two, two kids. First kid's name, Livni. Can you say Livni? Livni. It means white, whitey. Or, if you will, pure. The second, Shimai, means famous or strong. It's interesting, if you will, think of it this way. Within the church, let's just say that if we were all to be servants of the king, within this church there's going to be a group of people, and within that group of people, some of them are going to be those that they are fled. I mean, you look at them, and what you know, what, if they tell you their story, what they tell you is, I had a world that I fled from. And there's going to be those in the fellowship. You know, those that it's like, you know what, I don't want to go back to that world. I won't go near that world. Hey, look, for some of you, you could backslide and we might not know it. Some of us, if we backslid a little bit, you would know it right away. I'm one of the second of those camps. I wasn't raised in the kind of environment where I learned how to behave myself. I was actually a little bit more advanced in the other direction, which I'm not proud of. And for those that have, that are the found, the fled, The fruit you bear often, because you are the ones that know the outside world like, like some others might not. Can you see the promise in saying, I'm going to give you children that are white, pure? What an amazing thought that would be. And I'll be honest, I look at my children, I'm in awe. I mean, the things that they battle, I don't think I'd, I think I'd battle worse things when I was like five. The purity that I see on them is so amazing. I, I have daughters that don't want to kiss anyone until they're married. I mean, genuinely, that was their idea. I didn't say, this is your father's edict. That amazes me. But you know what? Listen, listen, listen. The buck stops here. So I have to address something right away. Some of you have been taught, and again, don't just believe me, but I'm going straight for the throat of it, something called a generational curse. What that means is even if you've given your life to Christ, you still have generations to pay off what's ever happened in your life before this point. Maybe your dad was a racist, and so God's going to punish you and the next four generations because it talks about God punishing upon the third and fourth generation the sins. But it says, listen, of those that hate me, do you hate them? Hey, whoever comes to Christ is a new creation. I have a brand new DNA, and I have a brand new dad, and I want to be just like him. So please hear me in this. I have fled. I'm glad to have fled. But my children do not bear the resemblance of where I came from. Oh, they're a little bit, you know, they're conniving. But, you know, they, it's their mother. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That's on, yeah, that's, that's, Shemai means famous. So, yes. Psalm 142, verse 5. I cried out to the Lord because, and I said, you're my refuge. Psalm 144, verse 2. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge. What's a refugee? Someone who has taken refuge. Right? Proverbs 14, 26. The fear, in the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence and his children have a place of refuge. Oh, glory to God. Hey, if I thought that my children would be who I was, I would never have had them. Psalm 91, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. So with the first group, Kirshon, he has a couple of kids, Livni and Shemai, white and famous, if you will, pure and strong. Second one, Kohat. Within their families, there will be some that will be known for their faithfulness. Allied, the term Kohat. By the way, to this day, if you were to be a priest in the upcoming temple, you have to have the surname Kohen. Perhaps you've heard that name. Kohen comes from Kohat. So you get the idea. And it means, again, allied. By the way, notice, by the way, with this one, this guy has four kids. Amram. So here we go. Ready? Amram. Kind of a fun name. Amram. Next is Har. Hebron. 
And Utziel. Hey, you did that very well. Amram means high people or exalted people. Ishar means, by the way, oil or light producers. Hivron means, by the way, fellowship, seed of association. Utziel means the strength of God. Now listen to this. The kind that are faithful, you know they're faithful in the house of the Lord. Can I just say that the fruit that you bear will be light bearers, will be people that will be renowned and respected, will be real fellowship and strength of God. I think that there's something pretty amazing about that. Now listen, the strength of God, the allied children have lifted people. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite verses, it starts by saying, The eyes of the Lord go throughout the whole earth, listen, seeking to show himself strong, or literally to show himself strong, on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God is looking to show himself strong, but he's looking to show himself strong to those who are loyal. Why? Because if, you're, if your heart's not loyal to God, God will show himself strong and you'll get the credit for it. And God doesn't want to do that. So with the first one, we have a refugee. He builds forth white and famous kids. The second one, you've got the, the faithful among the faithful, by the way. You have those that are, the, that are the exalted, those that are producing light, those that are in, in association or in fellowship, and those that see the strength of God. Then we have the third one. And I think this is perfect. The third one was Marari. Remember what Marari meant? Bitter. Within the fellowship, there will be those. They're fragile. They're bitter. They've been fractured. He has two sons. Say them with me. Mali. Mushy. Who names their kid Mushy? Right? I just learned this morning that Mushy, by the way, is Finnish for mashed potatoes. There you go. But that's not what it means in this. Ready? So, <laughs> there you go. Marari has two kids. Mali means sick, and Mushy means sensitive. Can I say, the bitter, the fractured, have a tendency to bear the fruit of sick and sensitive people. If you don't let Christ get a hold of you, if you don't let God take over you, you know what you'll bear forth? Sick and sensitive people. You know the kind of people who say, hey, you look nice today. And they say, what, did I not look nice yesterday? And you're like, forget it, we're done. <laughs> it was intended to be a compliment. <laughs> Proverbs 17:22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Be careful what you say. Because it really does affect people. Pardon me for saying it. I'm going to get a little bit colorful here. I hope hope not to offend you other than to challenge you. But if you're in an elevator, the last thing you want is somebody with bad gas. You're shoved in there and you're stuck. Yeah, you're like, what kind of church is this? When you start to talk, have you ever been in an elevator and somebody is verbally farting? And what they're saying, you can't leave the elevator. You're like trying to like, but it just wafts into your ears anyways. I've heard that said, and then I've heard, and then I've heard the person, and I've actually turned to them and started sharing the Lord, like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm like, you are. And that just came out of your mouth? Be careful. So we have our three. We have the fled the faithful, and the fractured. Are you with me so far? Now, it's interesting because now look at what he's going to do. He's going to count them. That makes sense. And not only is he going to count them, but he's going to give each of those guys different positions in the church. Now, listen, 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 because this gets so exciting to me. We start with the first. Gershon. Do you remember what his name means? Flat. Excellent. The refugees, right? Those that have fled. Those that know what the outside world is like, right? They know how bad the world is. Listen to this. From Gershon came the family of the Libnites, because they're Libni, and this then of the Shemites, because it's Shemai. In other words, you know, your name, you'd be the Wanites, would be the Andrewites. You get the idea. These were the families of the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of the males from a month old and above, of those who were numbered were 7,500. Now, just try to remember these three numbers. 7,500. That's our first group. The family of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. So let's just do this for the sake of fun for the moment. Let's just say all of you on this side get to be Gershon. Okay? As you are Gershon, where are you camping? Okay, thank you for four of you. Let's try all of you. Now, you're Gershon. All of this side, you're Gershon. Where are you camping? Thank you. You're on the west side. You're on the west side. 
requesting girls. Okay, now, now look what it says. The leader of their father's household, the Gershonites, was a guy named Eliashaf. And Eliashaf, by the way, means God gathers. Listen to that name. The guy who leads you was a guy that names, his name means God who gathers. He's, it's God who gathers. Are you with me? You're refugees. You know what it's like to flee the world, and the guy that leads you, his name is God gathers. You're with me so far? So what could you possibly have as responsibility within the church? Those who have fled, those who know how bad the outside world is, those who know what, that God is their refuge, and the guy who leads you, his name is God gathers. Listen, the duties of the children of Gershon. Maybe you read, when you're reading like Bible in a year, you're like, Vroom. okay, let's get to the New Testament. Look at this with me. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, that's the tent, the screen of the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle, and all their cords. In other words, all that fence on the outside. Did you get that? Look, this is what you have. You have the tent, the screen doors, and the fence on the outside. Do you realize what you have? You are responsible for the outside. You are the first people people meet when they come in. Think about it. The refugees are the people who know what the outside world is like. And they're the people responsible for the outside. Do you get it? And who leads them? God gathers. That's who leads them. God who gathers takes those who knows what, it, who knows what it's like to flee. Flee from a world that's rotten. Flee from a world that's perverted. Flee from a perverse generation. And he takes them, and you know what he does? He gets them on the outside. And he says, now let's get them in. And by the way, some of you, I can tell you, some of you, I see you doing this. You know how wicked the world is. And some, you're like, I just want to sit in here in the Lord, but the Lord can make you to pull you faithful. But can I just say this? I watch those who know what the world's like, and they're like, I just want to get out there and tell others. I want to get them to the screen doors. I want to get them to the fence and show them where the way in is. And who would know better than those that set it up? You are the ones who set up the outside. Do you get it? Group number two. Let's put you on this side, if you will. And we'll make Jeffrey and Daniel group three. How's that? So, <laughs> Molly and Mushy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if my mic stays on. All right. <clears throat> Kohat, our second group. From Kohat came the family of the Amorites, because it's Amram. Remember how they had those guys' names? We added an ite to it. The family of the Izharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Utsialites. These were the family of the Kohatites. He reminds us of those kids. According to their number of their males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping the sanctuary. How many of you are there? 8,600. We'll say 8,600. How many? 8,600. How many of you are there? Okay, how many here? How many here? Okay, which group's bigger? They are, yeah. Don't worry, it's okay. (laughs) Only because they have Peter. The family of the children of Kohat were the camp on the south side. Where are you camped? Where are you camped? Okay, and which group are you? Oh, so you didn't hear. <laughs> You're a Kohat, right? You're a Kohat. Who are you? Gershon. Gershon. What does it mean? Refugee. Right. Or fate. We'll say the fled. So, so, who are you again? How many of you are there? And where are you at? Who are you? What does it mean? The faithful, beautiful. And how many of you are there? Hey, I think you got it. Last time. I just want to hear you do it right. Ready? Who are you? What does it mean? Beautiful. And how many of you are there? And where are you at? West side. Who are you? What does it mean? And where are you at? And how many of you are there? Okay, good. Now listen to what you get. The faithful. What do the faithful get? Mm. First of all, who leads you, right? That would be important, don't you think? It says, verse 30, And the leader of the house, father's house of the family of the Kohites, Kohites was, and here's a fun name, Elisaphan. Would you say Elisaphan? Elisaphan means, the son of Uziel, his name literally means God's treasure. Or, if you will, God the treasure. So, the leader of your group, God the treasure. Who's the leader of your group? God gathers. God gathers God's treasure. Do you get it? Hmm, that points me to something. Listen to this. 
Their duties include the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, and even though screen, and this screen is the veil between the holy and the holy holies and all the work relating to them. You know what you got? You got the inside because the faithful handle the inside. The fled handle the outside. Do you see how that works? And look at who we have as leaders, God's treasure. Why is that important? Because everything you're handling symbolizes him, but the real treasure is him. Why is it God who gathers? Because you need to know that if you go out and reach out to people and you're going out and showing them the door, it's still God who gathers. And if they're like, man, I don't want to come, it's like, well, it's all right. You're not my problem. You're God's problem. Try to sleep tonight. Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's the treasure? It's Jesus himself. That the excellence of the power may be in God and not in us. We read about Jesus in Colossians 2, 3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Hebrews 11.26, when he speaks of Moses, it said, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he looked toward the reward. And Jesus warned us. It's easy to remember. 1, 2, 3, 4, Luke 12.34. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now, here's my prayer, that we'd be all three. Well, at least these two so far. How are you doing? Okay, so quick quiz. You ready? You guys are in it so far. You're in it to win it. Here we go. First group, who are you? What does it mean? The flood. Okay, beautiful. And how many of you are there? 700. And where are you camped? And what are you in charge of? Outside. Beautiful. Okay, let's talk about group number two. Who are you? Kohat. And okay, what does your name mean? The faithful. How many of you are there? 8,600. Where are you at? South side. Okay. And what are you in charge of? Inside the furniture. Yeah. Now, this is a point where since this is where you're, you're handling this stuff, notice what he makes clear. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief. Wait a minute. Why not Aaron? Right? Wasn't Aaron the high priest? Why did he make sure it was Eleazar? Eleazar was to be the chief priest over the Levites, the leaders of the Levites. He oversaw the leaders. Oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. What does Eleazar mean again? God, the helper. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what Jesus said in John fourteen 16? I'll pray to the Father and he will bring you another helper. In John fourteen twenty six, when he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. In John fifteen twenty six, but when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit oversees this, beloved. Isn't that beautiful? And I, you need to know that because you're carrying things like the ark. You want to make sure you recognize that God the helper. Well, we have one more group, right? You guys ready over there? Yeah. All right, good. There we go. You're, you're Marari. Do you remember what Marari means? Bitter, right, or the fragile, the fractured, right. It says, Marari came to the family of the Mahalites, right, and the Mushites, mashed potatoites. These were the family of Merari. Those who were numbered according to them by the way of the males from a month old and above were 6,200. How many of you are there? Beautiful. 6,200. How many of you are there? 8,600. How many of you are there? Who's the smallest group? Yeah. So it's fitting. But wouldn't it be that the bitter, the fractured might be the smallest group? So you came in broken. You came in tweaked. Is there a place for you? Of course there is. Look at what he says. First of all, the leader of the father's house, by the way, of the families of Merari, was Zuriel. Zuriel, the son of Abihel. What does the name mean? God is my rock. If you come in broken, if you let that be your leading phrase, everything's going to change. God's got to be your rock. By the way, this, he is the son of Abihail. And by the way, the name means that only the father is strong or the father's might. Hmm. They were camped on the north side of the tabernacle. So, let's quick check this. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? So, what side is not being covered right now? East. What's so important about the east? That's where the door is. And God doesn't want all the people blocking people from getting in. Do you get it? 
He wants you. Now understand, this is where you're camping. Ultimately, the high priest will be there, and that's what we'll see in a moment. Because he wants the high priest. He wants you to know the high priest is there for you. So listen. What do you have the responsibility of? Verse 36. The appointed duties of the children of Merari include the boards of the tabernacle. It's bars, pillars, sockets, utensils, all of the relating to it. The pillars of the court around it with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. What? Do you know what you're responsible for? The structure. Wait a minute. If you take somebody that comes in broken, please don't miss this. You take someone and you come in and you feel like you're fractured. You come in bitter and you're like, man, life just stinks and I'm messed up and I got issues. I'm like, good, good. But if you could make God your rock, God can take you and make you a pillar in the church of God. Because you take somebody who knows what it's like to find that kind of purity, that kind of power in God, and to rest in God's power, the Father's might, that becomes a very structure of the church. While you're out reaching out, while you're out reaching in, you're out building up. And that's how God uses it. Can you see how we built this? And with every bit of this, understand that's how this chapter works. At the end of this, he just needs to clean up one simple issue, and that's, well, we've got these firstborn that the Levites are going to handle. So follow me on this, okay? So take note, by the way. This is the high priest is the only one on the east side, by the way, 38. Those that were camped before the tabernacle on the east were the tabernacle of meeting, was Moses, and notice he calls it meeting. He wants to make sure you meet there. Moses, Aaron, his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near would be put to death. Well, that's kind of heavy. We'll talk about that in a moment. All who were numbered among the Levites. Now, we count all of you up, all three of you. It says, whom Moses and Aaron numbered among the, command, the commandment of the Lord by their families, males a month old and above, were 22,000. That's adding all three of you up. So, how many of you total are there? Why is that important? Look at the rest of this. Verse 40. Then the Lord said, we'll number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above. Take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me in, in their place, right? I'm the Lord. And said the firstborn among the children of Israel, the livestock of the Levites, instead of the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. Moses numbered the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. He says, the firstborn among them. He says, for the firstborn males, according to the number of the names from a month old and above, those who were numbered of them were 22,273. How many of you are there? How many of them are there? 22,273. We have a problem. There are too many firstborn for Levites. Does that make sense? You see why I counted them now? Because I want to make sure, remember, every one of you replaces a firstborn. But there aren't enough Levites for firstborn. Now, what if you were one of those parents? You'd be like, dang it. I wonder if that one's my boy. If I'm going to lose my boy. You know what that would get you doing? Hear me. Praying for more Levites. Wouldn't it? Let's be honest. You're, you're here as a, listen, as the congregation grows, you need more Levites. I think God set that up here. You know what's really dangerous? When a church goes really, really big numerically, but there's like three people in leadership and even less people serving and less people giving and less people whatever. And you just think because the church grows that it might be more financially capable of handling things or more able. And what happens is, is that you have three people that are trying to serve 400 people. It gets insane. That's not what our heart's desire is here. Because remember, the firstborn of the future of your family. You need more people, more active Levites as the congregation grows. Does that make sense? Know that. So, the Lord spoke to Moses saying then, well, now what do we do? How do we handle it? Take the Levites instead of the firstborn of the children of Israel, the livestock, sort of, the Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. Verse 46 for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. Then you shall take them in the currency of the shekel. Remember, a shekel, by the way, is a month's salary. So you're paying five months' salary in the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. 
You shall give the money, which is an excess number of them redeemed. In other words, the 273 that are left over. To Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,375 shekels. That's 273 times 5, according to the shekel of sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So, if I were the average Israeli, I would really, really want to make sure that there are more Levites. I'm praying for that. Now, in our last few minutes remaining, and this is kind of how it's been last week too, I want to show you quickly what God does in the next chapter. You know, now that you know where you are. By the way, what group are you? Gershom. What does it mean? The flood? What are you responsible over? The outside? Beautiful. How many of you are there? Beautiful. Where do you camp? Who are you? Beautiful. What does it mean? The faithful, beautiful. What are you responsible for? How many of you are there? Beautiful. And where do you camp? Southside. How about you over there? Good. Good. That's good. Right, Marari. You're from Marari, right? How many of you are there? 6,200. Beautiful. What are you responsible for? The structure. Beautiful. Where are you camping? North side. You with me? But understand, please hear me in this. God wants you mobile. Now that you know that and we're going to start getting some form of edifice in the beginning, in this, a tent in the middle, He wants you busy about it. He wants you active. Because this whole thing was intended to move. This wasn't intended to be just a building among the neighborhood that people might go to. This was intended to be mobile. And God wants us out there doing it. And part of that means that the structure's got to be willing to move. That's got to mean that the outside's got to be willing to move. That means that the inside's got to be willing to move. And there's a proper way to move it. Does that make sense? And it's not just everyone now. Now he's going to number 30 to 50. There's a specific group of people that he now starts to go with in regards to this. And as he does that, then he's going to go and break him up again. Kohat, Gershom, Merari. And that will be next week. So you know where we're going. My challenge to you is to read this this week and actually go, okay, think of yourself as a Kohathite. Kohathite. Think of yourself as a Gershonite. Think of yourself as, <laughs> you guys over there, as, as those Mararis, bright red Mararis. You know. And see what that's going to be like as the Lord prepares us. Because listen, this week though, if we really want to take the time and be serious about it, We want to start asking ourselves, am I even in the place where I'm willing to let the Lord lead me? Am I in the place where I know, you know what, if if I've been in that place where I know how horrible the world is and I know people that are trapped in it, chances are you want to go and get them. Well, then go get them. Don't go alone, but go get them. And let the Lord lead you, because he wants to. And he's put you in part of that. And understand, welcome, Gershonites. But remember who led you? Who's the leader? God gathers. Never forget that. Let that be your banner. God gathers. So, hey, look it. If I invite a million people, God still gathers. And it's his job. My job is just to give people a choice. Give them a choice. How about you? You know, there are those, and all you want to do is be faithful. You want to crawl into the arms of the Lord and stay there. Praise God. Well, then be faithful in the church. Be faithful with the things of the church. And be about it. Minister to the people, but never forget who leads you. What is your banner? God's our treasure. Never forget that. How about you guys? The fractured. You feel like maybe I come in and I feel like I'm all broken. I feel like I'm bitter. I've had a hard time. God says, you know what? Good. But if you are willing to take hold of your, your banner, everything changes. And what's the name of you? Who's your banner? God's our rock. And as he's your rock, then let him build you up and make you pillars. Because we need more Levites. People, by the way, and he says, look at, listen, listen, listen. He says, outsiders cannot be this. You have to be born in. Good. The good news is God is willing to let you be born in. But God even says, I isn't want even a new believer playing this role. That's what it says. This is less, the first Timothy says in chapter 3, lest they fall into the same condemnation as the enemy, as the devil. 
See, all the devil said is, in the simplest sense, hey, this needs to be about me. And you watch somebody new in the Lord, give them a guitar, tell them to lead worship, it's all about them. Give them a microphone and tell them to teach, it's all about them. It's not about Jesus. God says, I want to keep you from that. You know how God does it? He'll take your legs from you is what he'll do. Praise God for when he does that. He'll never, by the way, I've learned this, God never uses excessive force. Have you learned that? Isn't that beautiful? Here's the scary thing. If God is using force, what does that say about us? As we go to the Lord in prayer, look at the Lord wants to make his people warriors, but he also wants to make them workers. You know what else he wants to make us? As warriors and as workers, we are worshipers. And whether he has you on the outside or in the inside or in the structure, this is the beautiful part. He has you somewhere. One thing I've learned about great inventors, there are no extra parts. That's for the person that says, no, I can build it myself. And then the wife says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Hey, look, I built it and we have extra parts. I don't know about that. God does not create extra parts. And if you've been born into him, you are not a spare part. You are not like a wart on the body of Christ. You're not like the appendix that needs to be removed someday when you decide you're going to explode. What you are is a part. And if you are not functioning, the whole body is suffering. Because if you are actually a Gershonite, there are people out there that chances are you uniquely, God has given favor to. We'll be about it then. If you're a Kohathite and you're not busy about what God's called you to, There are people on the inside that aren't getting ministered to like they should. Don't think it's the pastor's job. The body serves the body. You know that. I'm just part of the body. I'm just trying to do my part. If you come in and you're part of the Mararites, Mararararites, what happens when the church has no structure, when there aren't enough pillars? There's no place to go but down. And this is how it starts. Are you born again? Have you been born again? Are you confident that you've been born again? Here's what Jesus says. If you're willing to believe in him, call on his name, you'll be born of the Spirit, you'll be born again. If you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God died on the cross for you, rose again on the third day, God wants to save you and he wants you to have a brand new DNA be a brand new creation, and be part of a brand new family. Hi, we're the new family. And aren't we an awesome one? I think so. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this text. I thank you, Lord, as we've looked at what it looks like to to see the sons of Levi, which, by the way, again, means attached. This all starts with us being attached. Lord, a line is drawn in the sand. And the question is whether we're willing to be on your side. And I'm standing here and saying, yes, I am willing. I want to be yours completely. And I want you, Lord, to use me. I want you, Lord, to lead me and guide me. And I thank you, Lord, for those that are the Gershonites who have allowed you to be the gatherer. But know the fence. Know the doors. Know the tent. They know that. And I thank you, Lord, for how you use them to draw people in. Not to build a church, but to build a family. Thank you that you are a God who still adopts. I thank you for those, Lord, that are known as the faithful. The Kohathites. And how, Lord, for them, you are to be their treasure more than anything. Not the ministry, not a title, but you. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would continue to inspire and draw in. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I thank you for those who they just can't wait to get here to love on each other. Thank you so much for that. I thank you, Lord, for those you bring in, Lord, and that's so many of us that came in really, really wonky. 
We were busted. We were broke. We were twisted. We were fractured. But Lord, you became our rock. And as you became our rock, you raised us up, Lord. And I thank you for that. And I pray for any person here who may be in that state before that, where they feel fractured, fallen, fearful, weak. But today they recognize if you're really willing to die for them on the cross, to pay for all their sins because you're perfectly holy, you've paid them all, and yet greatly approachable, you want us to say yes to you. If right now, in the sound of my voice, you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and you're not sure whether you've ever been born again, if you've not accepted Jesus, you're not. But right now you could be. And all you need to do is say yes. So here's the deal. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you agree with it at the end, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all sin. But I believe because you so loved me that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that all my sins could be properly punished. And there Jesus became my ransom and my savior as he died just like scripture promised. And as he was buried, and just like Scripture promised, he rose again on the third day. You offer now Jesus to be my Lord, my living Lord. And so with that, I say yes. To Jesus as my Savior, yes, to Jesus as my Lord. I surrender to you now when I say, here I am, I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.